Every day, during this great and terrible pause, Cood Street is calling up readers and book lovers from all over the world to ask them what they're reading, what they'd recommend, and what they've coming out in the world. Today I'm talking to the wonderful Roshi Chen, who's currently acquiring and editing fiction for Tor.com. Roshi joins me from somewhere in America. Hello, Roshi. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. It is a joy and a pleasure. How are you? How are you coping with these strange times reasonably well um but it, it's always sort of an in all things considered situation and uh and this joke has been made many many times over the last few months but every every email now feels like a dispatch from the 19th century that is like i hope this message finds you and your family doing okay in these trying <laughs> times um and and i am constantly not sure what year or month we're in. But other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> Do you find that with all of this sort of weird kind of message in a bottle kind of world we're living in, that you're able to, to, to read, to work, to function? Or is it an endless fog of I don't even know what? I would, this is maybe a coward's answer, but I would say both. Like, and it, it depends on the day and the time of day. Um, I am, you know, as, as I'm sure you are as an editor, always enormously grateful for the authors we get to work with who are spending their times, like their time creating somehow in the midst of everything um, and getting to be a part of that. But there are definitely some days where I wake up and I'm just like, what? world are we living are we living in and how have we been dragged into like the dystopian science fictional universe that we thought we were just editing <laughs> mere years <laughs> ago so um yeah it is um i've been doing a lot of rereading as i think a lot of people have just for for comfort in addition to to new things that i can't talk about for work um and and some things that i can so it's it's been a mix of of a lot of things well, then let me ask you, obviously, you, know, you have been re-reading re and rereading. What have you been reading? And critically, um, is it any good? Uh, well, I'll start with the rereads since like, since the fact that I'm rereading them probably gives them vouches for the goodness at least a little bit. So um, I, one of my favorite series of all time is Megan Whelan Turner's The Queen's Thief series. Um, and the the final book is out, I think, in just a couple weeks. It's it's pretty soon. So um, these are YA novels set in a secondary world, reminiscent. It's sort of a combination of ancient Greece and then maybe like 19th century Europe. It's like an interesting um, mashup of world building. And I think the first one might have come out in the mid nineties. And it's really mm -hmm. astonishing to me that she manages to sort of seamlessly cross genres and also age groups with the series. Like the first one reads very middle grade. Um, and with book two, it immediately feels like older YA adult. Um, and there are still like just matters of craft and POV shift that she pulls off in those books that astonish me on every reread. And it's the kind of reveal that is just more and more pleasurable every time you hit it again. And sometimes I will, I have both the physical editions and the ebook editions because sometimes I want to just pull up a specific scene on my phone for the dopamine hit of reliving mm -hmm. how well she pulls it off, um, <laughs> which is, which is a huge compliment to her, obviously. So um, I'm in, I'm both very sad that the series is coming to a close, but incredibly excited to read the final book. So I've been sort of living in that world again recently. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, another 
favorite series um, is Sabriel by by Garth Nix, which was so foundational for me when when I was coming into reading sci-fi fantasy as a kid. And I also reread those regularly. Um, and yeah, now reading about young w- women crossing a wall into strange <laughs> lands with uncertain invasions and things like you know it feels like a little too relevant even in even though (laughs) it's taking place in this um in this unfamiliar world but um as with the Megan Whalen Turner books um it is it's really rewarding and amazing to see uh how well it holds up um especially that first book like I still remember very clearly reading it for the first time um and Mm -hmm. and all of the details and now necromancy is obviously back in the water in SFF but I will Sabriel will always be one of my OG necromancer favorites for all time um and (laughs) for very good reasons so so that has been a delight um and in terms of something new, I have just started an incredible debut called We Ride Upon Sticks by by Quan Berry. And it is about the, I'm trying to remember the year so I don't get it wrong. I think it's the, the 1989 Danvers High School, Massachusetts field hockey team and the witchcraft that they get up to in the woods. So it seems like it's both a perfect sports book, which I always love, yeah. um, and and possibly a perfect witch book, which I also love. Um, and it is by an author in the diaspora. Um, I am also Asian American and from Massachusetts, and I played field hockey in high school, so it was it was going to take a lot for me <laughs> not to to come to this book with with open eyes. But um, I'm still in the beginning, but I'm enjoying it a lot. And uh, and outside of work reading, it's one of the the sort of few new things that I've been able to kind of make my brain get into recently. So I'm really grateful to it for that. Do you find yourself looking for things to read outside of work that are quite different in in tone and approach than you do at work? Yes, I think it's um and and I'm curious if if you run into this as well, but um even when I'm like science fiction and fantasy is obviously, obviously like the genre that I live in, whether or not it's professionally or personally, but it is really difficult when you're reading to make it reading not for work. Cause even if I'm reading something, that's not something I'm working yeah. on explicitly. Part of my brain is like, who is the editor on this? Who is the agent? What is this author up to now? What does this say mm-hmm. about the positioning on this other book? That it's, it's very, very difficult to turn that all off when when it is the genre that you work in. Um, and and it's both the the sort of the pleasure and the pain of it, right? Where you, you sort of the trade-off of getting to do what you love is that it never <laughs> quite it never quite turns off. You're just always in it. Um, so I I used to actually edit nonfiction. Um, and I have, and it was the flip side there where I had read a lot of nonfiction and then it kind of stopped when I was working on it professionally. And now it has come full circle and I turn to, to nonfiction, specifically disaster nonfiction, um, as a weird (laughs) therapeutic, like, I don't know if escape is even the right word, but just as something that feels, um, that is something that I love and have in a genre that I've always enjoyed, but is separate from work. Like I, there is a comfort in sitting down with a book that goes into the incredibly granular details of a shipwreck and knowing, okay, part of my brain might still be like, Ooh, could I suggest this detail in an edit? But most of my brain will not be thinking, 
is this a comp title for, <laughs> is this nonfiction about <laughs> shipwrecks a comp title for something I'm working on? So, so it's nice to be able to, to turn that off. Um, I, uh, in terms of the the comfort, speaking of the comfort rereads, even though this is about a disaster, so comfort is maybe not the right word, but the the perfect storm by Sebastian Younger is a book that I have reread probably once a year, like usually during the summer when I can spend some time in Massachusetts where I grew up um, near Gloucester, which is where the book is set um, for like probably a decade. And that and there is something, you know, it's a very real story. It's a chronicling of a very real tragedy. So I don't I certainly don't want to make light of that. But the, Mm -hmm. the way that it unfolds and the way that um, that book describes exactly what's happening and sort of flips back and forth between the human story, and the the process of, of what went wrong, and everything that led up to what happened is just really, really satisfying. And it is it is a sort of world building um, that I think fantasy readers do kind of tend, like a certain kind of fantasy reader is drawn to that. I've certainly talked with other people mm-hmm. in SFF, even about that book specifically. Um, and And so things kind of in that genre where I'm like, this is a disaster that I choose to be in rather than <laughs> a disaster that has been flung upon me. Um, oh. There, there's something there, right? That um, where you you wring back a little bit of control for yourself. <laughs> well, actually, something that occurred to me while you were talking was this: you started off by talking about the books you've been rereading and revisiting, and also how the work you're reading now sometimes overlaps with your editing. So, what crossed my mind was this: is one of the attractions of rereading that it allows you to revisit the reader you were before you became an editor it becomes pre that kind of critical mindset that you sort of live in ever after yes i think that's a that's a really um that, that I love how you put that because I, I think that is the constant push pull for for professionals in the field where you don't want to lose the reader in yourself to your critical mind ever right like you you always want to preserve that little kernel um and and sometimes in my edits I will even leave like two different versions of a comment one that is, the more professional, like, this is what I want you to do with this scene, or this is what you did very well with this scene kind of comment. Um, and I, I don't want authors to lose, like, the moment where I just lost my shit over a scene in a very organic <laughs> way. Um, so, I, yes, totally. The the rereading um, has, like, it, it helps kind of keep that fire stoked that and that memory of what brought you to the genre in the first place. Um, Because I think the, you know, as you know, the publishing process is often long and complicated and full of unexpected things. And there are just so many different mechanical processes happening simultaneously. And it is so, so easy to just lose sight of being able to lose yourself in a book. And even as editors, um, you, you still do that. So, um, one, one sort of work from high school that I've been rereading for work is, um, is the great Gatsby. Uh, and it Mm -hmm. has been incredibly humiliating to look at like my 15 year old self's very self-serious notes that I was making. Like I found my, my original (laughs) copy. Um, and it was this, this very unwelcome portrait of, of who I was and what I thought of myself as, as a teenager. Um, and the, the, 
the reason for that is that I'm I'm working on this incredible debut novel by by Nevo called The Chosen and the Beautiful, uh, which is a reimagining of The Great Gatsby that centers the story on a Jordan Baker who is Asian American and adopted and also a magician. So it brings a little magic into the world, but I think that when I read it in high school, this book was presented to me as this is American mythology. Like this is America. uh, And this is what, you know, this is what you should put into your brain. Um, And I've gone through so many cycles with that book where I loved it at 15. I loved what the world that it hinted at. Then I hated it. I was like, why is this book so white? Why, why is, why is this the thing that is the center of class? And then just that constant pendulum, like going back and forth. Um, so it does feel really special to get to, to work on a new work that is both in reaction to it and utterly separate from it. And I think Nia and I probably had somewhat similar high school experiences. I don't know if she also has a battered copy that haunts her, (laughs) that is, that is full of her own self-serious thoughts from, from long ago. Um, but there, that has kind of done the double barrel thing where it is helping me revisit what I loved about it in a very earnest way that was sort of free from critical thought. Um, and then, and then also, even though I definitely thought I had very, you know, high-minded critical feelings on that book when I was 15. I did not. Um, but and and also remembering just my whole history with it and then this author's yeah. whole history with it and then thinking about what it actually means as like a work in the American canon and yeah. um and what a revisiting of it would mean, you know, in 2021. Like we're in the 20s again. Um the world yeah. is falling apart again. Um and you know, her her Gatsby has sold his soul to the devil and who's to say the original one had not. One a, f- a final question that I- I'd like to ask you is just this. Uh, I know you were the editor on the rather wonderful Riot Baby that came out earlier this year from Toshi Onyabuchi. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're acquiring work for Tor and doing more and more stuff. Um, when you look at the world around us and you look at how the genre seems to be responding to that or not, do you feel mostly optimistic about that response in fiction or do you feel like there's still a long way to go? I think optimistic in terms of what I'm seeing from authors, um, particularly newer newer authors into the genre, um, and then a little more hesitant in terms of the infrastructure, right? Which is which I think is always going to be slower to catch up. Like there are good changes being made. Um, I think you know even in the breadth of of my relatively short career, um, I. I don't think like the imprint I work for didn't exist when I first started working in publishing. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I'm enormously grateful that it does exist now, both because, Hey, it's great to have a job in a pandemic. Um, and because, <laughs> <laughs> right. And because, you know, it's, it's putting out some great books and it's a great platform, um, particularly for marginalized voices. And that's something the whole team has done very intentionally. Um, and, and I do want to say just that I don't think, in terms of the voices that feel new now, it's not that they haven't been writing these books. You know, Tochi began Riot Baby in 2015, and it is yeah. it is sad that it continues to be relevant. It was relevant before he started this story. It was relevant when he started the story. It was relevant when it came out. It is relevant now. Um, he is 
you know, he's speaking to, reacting to, creating from something that has been in the waters of American history for centuries. And uh, and I think the shift now is less that there are so many new people coming into the genre than that we are giving them the opportunity to be read by a larger audience. Like they have always been doing the work. They have always been mm-hmm. creating. Um, and and it's it's on us to to catch up to that, right? So um definitely optimistic about the the writers working and 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 hopefully and a little bit so about the structure too. Um so it is um I, I am looking forward to to what happens, especially in the next few years. Well on that hopefully optimistic note, Roshi Chen, I'd like to thank you so much for making time to talk to me this morning. I genuinely appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure.